Hey guys, welcome to episode 252 of the podcast with my boy of summer, the wonderful Travis McElroy. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I just want to quickly shout out Megan and Wendy for your emails and I haven't gotten back to you yet, but I wanted you to rest assured I read and enjoyed them. And on Facebook, I wanted to thank Kevin, Jesse, Todd, and Claire. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Uh, listen, if you're listening to this on Thursday and you are in San Francisco, I will be up in San Francisco for Outside Lands, but on on Thursday evening, uh, I will be at a really cool local showcase that SF Sketchfest has started doing at Doc's Lab. It's going to be our inaugural event. And uh, if you're looking for something fun to do, uh, it's at Doc's Lab at 8. It's not expensive. And um, I'm just going to be there watching some great SF comedy. So come say hi. Uh, and then I will be up in San Francisco again. I think I mentioned this before, but up in San Francisco for the 26th of August, where I will be producing a day of stuff at the Castro Theater, including Doug Benson's movie Interruption with Fifty Shades Darker and uh, the West Wing Weekly, which that actually that one actually has sold out. Um, but it's going to be awesome. So anyway, hope to see some of you in SF or in Atlanta at Dragon Con. And uh, I think that's just about enough ado for anyone. So please enjoy this episode with Travis. I'll talk to you next time. Now entering Nerdist.com. Listen, I'm not even going to pretend like we are in the same place um, because I wouldn't want to spread that sort of uh, that sort of mistruth, that untruth no. out into the universe. Um, tell us where you are and uh, and how the weather is. Well, I'm I'm sitting at my desk in my attic office in Cincinnati, Ohio. The weather, thank you for asking, is lovely. Um, it is about like 65, 70 degrees. Uh, oh, that is lovely. A nice breeze. I was just sitting on the porch having afternoon tea with my wife and my friend uh, and our baby. Not It was my wife and I's baby, not my friend and I's baby. And uh, uh-huh. <laughs> just having some tea and eating some cookies. It was great. All right. I need a descriptor. Uh, at least one of the tea. It could be type, Perfect. flavor, mm-hmm. um, pungency, and the cookies. Uh, the, the tea was Moroccan mint. With one scoop mm-hmm, of sugar, mm-hmm. one small spoonful of sugar. Let and, me stop you right there. Is mm-hmm. Moroccan mint the kind that has caffeine? Yeah, it's so it's a green one, tea. Okay, yeah, it's a, so right. it's a little, it. it's a little ca- not as caffeinated as like a black tea. I love uh, caffeine, and so like I mm-hmm. love teas and coffee uh, and that kind of thing. Um, I get, I, I have different forms, different levels of caffeine depending on what time of day it is, and if I want mm-hmm, to sleep mm-hmm. that evening or not. Um, so you do you have the sort of standard relationship with caffeine where you get that kind of good juicy uh, mm-hmm. energy from getting started with like a cup of coffee or something and then you, you know, can he, kind of you sort of have a sense of how how it's going to play out through the day like what amount like this is the amount this is the kind of tea I can have at X time. Yes. It's very scientific. Well and here's the thing here's the reason for that so I have ADD 
Um, and for whatever reason, the chemical makeup of an ADD brain, caffeine can react differently to it. So like, thank you because listen to this. The reason I asked all of this is because I also do. And my relationship with caffeine mm -hmm. is it makes me tired. See that. See, for me, it's a little bit of self-medicating because caffeine doesn't make me like shaky, you know, jolty. It makes me like leveled out. Like I can focus and like understood it lowers my racing brain. Um, but then if I have it too close to bedtime, uh, my brain already races. Like I already have a hard time falling asleep because yeah. I just lay there and think mm -hmm. about like all the stuff I didn't get done and all the stuff I have to do tomorrow. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so a little bit of extra caffeine in there is like, and now also you're afraid of the apocalypse and vampires and death and stuff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, no, I can, uh, I can definitely relate to that. I, but again, other than the fact that for some reason, like, I don't enjoy any positive benefits, really, of caffeine, but I do like the taste of things that have caffeine in them. So, mm -hmm. it's for me, it's sort of the dance of, like, I have to be careful not to have too much, like, black tea at once, or mm -hmm. and I can't drink coffee at all, um, because it either, it, it will make me really tired, or it will make me feel like I've taken, uh, like, cold medicine that is supposed to Ooh. pep you up, but instead makes you feel... Like everything is a fog, but also your heart's kind of racing. Like you want to mm -hmm. lie down and go to sleep, but you also feel like your heart's going to explode. So there's no like moment where I'm like, God, this is great. I just feel so peppy. I don't ever no, quite uh, get there with caffeine. For me, it's a preventative measure because I've been drinking coffee so yeah. long at this point, And it's like, I like routine. I like having like, I wake up in the morning, have two cups of coffee, and like that's as I sit there and check the news and like now as I'm like sitting with the baby and like have a morning check in before I start work. If I don't have caffeine now, I develop a massive headache about one o'clock in the yeah. afternoon because yeah. like now yeah. I'm I'm my body is like, wait, <laughs> where's where's our we coffee? need this to live? Yeah. 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 Uh, when do you, do you remember when you started drinking coffee? Were you someone who got an early kind of taste for it? Because, yeah. you know, I don't. I remember sitting through like smoking cigarettes at Denny's and sitting through cups of coffee as a goth teenager, not because I particularly liked the taste, but because it, it like felt like it went along with what I was trying to be. Yeah, I got into it when I was about like 16 drinking coffee because for me, it just seemed so adult. Like it seemed so like, yeah. and, and I, this is dumb, but I am also a huge like, you know, sci-fi fantasy nerd and like coffee is like a potion it's i like a thing that has benefits and like actual effects that feels like yeah. a magic potion and so like i was drawn <laughs> I to this it. idea of like drinking this alters something about it felt like magic to me when i was like 16 and so for me it wasn't in any way a rebellious thing like i i i remember the first time i like re I think I really enjoyed a coffee was I was in New York with my parents on like a family vacation and we went somewhere where they had like really nice cheesecake and like you can't stop me from eating cheesecake and I ordered a cup of coffee <laughs> with my cheesecake and like my parents just found it so funny and charming that like their 16 year old son was sitting there <laughs> sipping on a coffee and cheesecake and I just loved it. <laughs> there's so many there's so many tangents I feel like I want to go off on on that but I'm going to stick to uh, my original thought which was did that hold true for other 
body chemistry altering substances? Like, did you have an awareness of like pot in that way or alcohol or anything else that's like has a, a maybe a, a stronger effect? Alcohol, definitely. Like I, it never in any way that was a problem, but like my, my college years, I never really partied in high school, mostly because I was just like, as much as I, I was an asshole when I was in high school, but I was still like a really good kid who like, I, I felt, I had like a really overdeveloped sense of like honor and guilt and everything. So like, I hated getting in trouble because it just made me feel like such a small, like little insignificant, you know, worm to have to be like, I, I messed up, I'm so sorry. And so like, I uh-huh. never really partied, but in in college, like, my friends and I, we partied like five nights a week. Like there, we had events Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and so like, and not not like not in a we were you know destroying a house, you know drinking and driving reckless kind of thing, but just like very social college experience in a way that I just didn't really have in high school. Um, yeah. Uh, but as Did far you, as how, as how far does, as yeah, oh, well, as far ahead. as drugs go, like never really got past weed. Really, like I think because of the, a, a rare spike of like self awareness, I could feel that I have I have a very like addictive. I get into things like I binge mm-hmm. on stuff really hard, and like there was mm-hmm. just something where I knew like if you ever experiment with harder drugs, like you're not coming back. Like you're right. you're you're not going to be able to control yourself. You can barely control yourself when it comes to like eating cheesecake and fried chicken yeah. and beer. Like you're not going to be able to control yourself if you ever got into like coke or heroin or whatever. So I just never really got right. past pot. And even yeah. then, I wasn't super into it because I just don't react well to it. Like it makes me really paranoid um, and out yeah. of control in a way that I just don't like. Um, so like yeah. just personal preference. I don't really, I don't really do the marijuana, as the kids say. <laughs> well, listen, I uh, I can also relate uh, strongly to that. Although these guys know, when I was a high school student, I definitely smoked a lot of pot, and it actually was fo- f- like mostly fine and great. Um, but I, when I say I smoked a lot of pot, like I definitely wasn't a person who smoked every day. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's like every couple of months I would get really high. You know what I mean? It was still not like that often of a thing. And then in college, uh, I smoked it after a weird, almost near death experience where I was like in a back of a truck that started sliding down a mountainside <gasps> in the snow. Um, oh no. And yeah, it was it was very strange. And and I'm assuming I'm sort of making that connection because that was the first time after that I smoked pot and I had this horrible out of body experience. Um, and so I haven't and, and then I tried a couple more times like after that, you know, as you do, if you have a habit that you thought was fine mm-hmm. um, and the same thing would happen. So I hadn't like I haven't been stoned since I was 18 years old. And um, and the only thing that has changed for me in the last couple of years is just this like I'm just like sort of dipping a toe into the idea that the pot that I was smoking back then is so wildly different from oh, yeah. what has been cultivated to now that I'm kind of like you know what maybe there's a strain 
I certainly don't want to take any chances and just like start, you know, tugging on some unknown product. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's a way to like dip a toe in the in something that would not create that kind of paranoia. Um, yeah. But well, up not- to this point, it just hasn't even been worth it. It's just been like, I, I don't even want to like, that's just not important enough for me to take those risks. Well, I also realized recently, like, the way that I was uh, in, in enjoying pot, that I was imbibing pot, was also the equivalent of like going to a bar and taking shots. Like, it was like bong yeah. rips and shit. So, right. like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, like, living in LA where, you know, medicinal marijuana was legal, I got some for insomnia and was just doing like edibles, which is a very, for me at least, like, Different. fairly gentle way of like yeah. enjoying it. That it was like, oh, this experience. It was the difference between taking shots and like sipping a glass of scotch. You know what I mean? So, it's exactly. like, oh, okay. I was doing it bad. I was like, right. I was either zero or super stoned with ever without ever like scaling that in any way. But just for me, like I, I, whenever I would get stoned, I felt so out of control. And I have like I love being in control both of myself and of life in general. Me too. That that, that yeah. feeling of like I can't pull it together. I, I, I just I'm tugging at the strings yeah. trying to get myself back in line, and I can't do it. I hate it so much. Yeah. yeah. I could not relate more. Um, so, okay, so I, 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 I don't think that it passed me by that you said that you were a good kid, but who was also an asshole. So oh, such I an asshole. Explore, uh, what, what made you an asshole in high school? So, remember how I mentioned the control thing? I was, uh-huh. I was a drama kid who, like, I was the lead in all the shows, and I was in show choir, and like also like i i've been trying for like the last couple of years to remember high school clearer um cuz the way my memory i like i i don't have a great memory in general i remember stories instead of like actual events so i can tell stories all day long about stuff that happened but if you're like yeah but did you ever get bullied i can't remember did you what yeah. teachers did you like i don't know what was you know what classes did you take i have no idea but like <laughs> I was a drama kid, and so uh, my sophomore year, we got a new drama teacher who was just completely unqualified for the job. She uh, had been a, like a, an elementary school teacher who had never worked in drama in any form, never taught it. But oh, no. because of the way that our county worked, I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia. The way that the county worked was all based on seniority. And because she had been working in the county so long, she got the job over far more qualified people that I knew were applying from like one county over. Um, yeah. Wait so a minute. She- I feel like you already you already have a stronger sense of like what's going on in the bureaucracy of the educational system mm-hmm. as a young person than I ever would have. Did you really know like at the time? As a teenager, that there were that that this all the stuff was kind of in place, and that's how she got the job. And other people, like, was there was that information that you rooted out because she was so bad? Well, yeah. So basically, was it was, like, it was that job? where like I okay. I'm I'm very nosy, and um, <laughs> it took so our drama teacher retired. I love that you're like I got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I'm a bit of a boy detective. I love, I love Encyclopedia Brown. Grew up reading Encyclopedia Brown. Boy detective me all the way. Me too. God, um, me too. And so. 
Um, my our previous drama teacher retired at the beginning of the of the school year, and she uh, I won't say her name because it'll be obvious in a second. Uh, drama teacher two came in after like the start of the second semester, so for the entire first semester we just had like a string of substitutes. So like the mm. whole time I was like, why? What's going on? Why is this taking so long? And so like I was asking my parents when I was talking to other teachers in the school, and like I was very close <laughs> with a lot of teachers, like. What's the deal? Why haven't? Why don't we have a new drama teacher yet? And they were explaining to me like why the hiring process was so messed up in in the county. And so um, she started, and she had like no idea what she was doing. And I was like in the highest level drama class the school offered, and she had us like cutting out like you know paper masks, like the drama, mm, you know no. tragedy comedy, mask, and talking about what drama meant to us. And it's like, are we gonna like do scenes or work on acting? Yeah. And so one day she kind of blew up at me and she said, you don't respect me. And I said, respect is earned and not given. And she started crying and shut herself in her office. And (laughs) after after that, I basically ran the class and like I would assign (laughs) uh, homework and I picked out scenes for everybody to do and like decided what projects we were going to work on. Um, and like I told the teacher what play we were going to do for the fall and spring musicals and wow yeah I just kind of like wrestle which here's the thing I want to be clear I'm telling this story now at the time I was like yeah I'm Spartacus but now I'm like I was an (laughs) asshole like there was so much nicer ways I could have done that well yeah but and but like, but the kids obviously embraced that, so it's oh, not yeah. like you know, it's not you were the sort of Spartacus. Like they they reinforced the idea that you had saved this this entire semester or year or whatever from you know being a complete disaster of not getting to do anything and not really feeling like you. But yeah, I mean, if she lo- uh, if she cried and locked herself in her office, yeah, that, that's was definitely another, intense. Th- uh, there was another like time we were doing footloose and i was playing ren which is you know, the kevin bacon part and um when, what, like footloose was a play or you adapted it into a no play? the musical there's a musical footloose it's really good oh i actually. didn't know that yeah a lot of fun i didn't know um, that and i so i i played ren and we had like five different directors we had like the director and then the choreographer and then the choir, you know, like the music director and then like the woman who was directing the orchestra. And so it was like, they were all kind of like trying to give simultaneous but conflicting notes. And so it ended up, the rehearsal took way longer than it should. And they were trying to do two runs of the show in the rehearsal. And so they just told us we were gonna skip dinner break to get the second one Mm -hmm. in. And they were like, just go grab something. This is not a joke. This is adults saying to like 14, 15, like, just go grab something out of the vending machine. Uh, and in 10 <laughs> minutes, we'll do the run again. And I said, well, I'm going to go have dinner and I'm in every scene. So good luck rehearsing without me. And I walked out. Um, and then apparently I was told later that then the director said, well, that's dinner. Everybody come back in an hour. <laughs> Um, which here's the thing. At the time, I was like, "Yeah, can't stop me. I'm I'm literal Ren McCormick. I'm leading the uh-huh. kids." But now, as an adult, I'm like, I was insufferable. Like, yes, but also these were my teachers, and I was like 16, 17 years old, like running my mouth to adults. Like, if I met that kid now. I would not take shit from him. Like that kid would. Right. I, I would not be like, "Yeah, you get him, kid." I would be like, "Who the fuck is this asshole?" Who let this kid in well, here? It, al- 
there's also like it's what's interesting about it too is like I'm trying to think if there was anybody who had that kind of dynamic that I went to school with and I think the reality is like what's com- what's what's conjuring for me is it's because I in my mind I was like well I'm sure the adults just didn't know what to do with that so they sort of you, you broke them you broke their robot adult brains but because I'm I think they're probably used to people who are a- totally absent to the idea of being students be- for one reason or another and so they're shitty to their teachers because they don't want to be there at all or you know they're just angry people in general but they're also not applying themselves but then or you want to be good and you want to be doing the you know the actual work in the theater class and you're a good kid and you're a kiss ass or you know you're just sort of like magnanimous with everybody including the teacher and deferential that the idea that you would be like passionate and con- and, and convict like having the conviction to do and be present to the class and actually wanting to get more out of the class, but also being a dick to the teachers, I mm-hmm. bet was so confusing to them. I'm well, sure they were like, yeah. what is this? What is this? What species of kid is this? Well, because that's the thing is I was super engaged. Like I loved school and like I yeah. had a great, like my uh, speech and debate teacher, uh, Miss Lynn, I loved her. Like we got on great um, I wanted her to be the drama teacher because she had taught drama previously at a different school, but she was happy being the speech and debate teacher. Like, she and I got along wonderfully. And, like, in fact, I only did speech and debate because I liked her so much. And, like, I had history teachers and English teachers that I just adored, science teachers that I adored. But when it came down to it, like, the class I cared most about was drama, and the worst teacher I had was my drama teacher. And so, like, I just felt so let down by her that I just I I just reacted so poorly to her and like I said it's you know if I do it all over again I would have and I'd do it differently Uh (laughs) but like at the time it did kind of like the thing is is like I don't regret saying something and I don't regret taking on kind of a de facto leadership role I just wish I had worked with her rather than be like step out of the way and let me do it you know what i mean that's what i would do differently now of like well let's let's work to i have some ideas about what we could do rather than just like i got this go sit in your office i'll give notes like i gave notes during class like i i i (laughs) like yeah it was not great like and and like i didn't have i had choir teachers too that i got along with great so it wasn't just like a performing thing it was yeah. just this one teacher and I did not click. And what, was there any, there was no kind of um, competition among any other student who was sort of like miffed that you took on that role? There wasn't anybody else who also was passionate about it who was like, well, now hold on. I also would like to um, give some notes. No, because I'm, oh, especially in high school, um, I'm going to try. So I'm also like a narcissist, a recovering narcissist that I'm going to try not to be all braggadocious and talk about how great I was in high school because I'm really trying to make it clear that I was a jerk. But I'm also very charming. And like, so people liked me a lot. (laughs) And like, so I think everyone in the drama department, like I was friends with. I had a lot of friends in the drama department. And um, I was also like, I grew up doing theater from like the age of like six and did community theater, school theater. I like my family was very active in church and we my parents started a drama program in the church. 
So, like, I did theater at church. Um, I did some shows with the local college, Marshall University. And, like, so I, as far as, like, what a 17, 18-year-old kid, I knew more than most. So, like, yeah. It, I, it, I think that there's easily could have been a situation in which I was trying to do that, but I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, right. But like, also in Huntington, West Virginia, it's not like it was a arts, you know, destination school. So, like, I don't know. I, Your description of the rehearsal of Footloose sounds super intense. Yeah, I mean, well, the the school system was very interesting in Huntington. I'm, I know I said I don't have a good memory and now I'm giving you all the details about how the county works. But <laughs> they originally there had been all these smaller high schools that over like a decade, they just kept consolidating schools until eventually we just had this one like massive high school that had like 20, you know, like, like 2,000, 2,200 kids in it. And so like, we ended up with really great facilities, like really great programs, because just there was only one high school that they were funneling all the funding to. So right. we we ended up with fairly good resources. And we, by no means, there was a school one county over called Capital in Charleston that was like, had an amazing theater program that did like six shows a year um, for a high school. Like they were incredible. They were like the yeah. the the one and their teacher had applied for the job in Huntington at the Huntington mm -hmm. High Drama Department and she hadn't gotten it. And I had worked with her mm -hmm. in uh summer theater. And so that was another reason I knew so much about it. Cause I talked to her like, Hey, what, why didn't you get the job? I know you applied. And she explained the whole situation to me. And so like, and I think you, yeah, I was also kind of ahead. like, I had a little bit, I think of animosity because I knew there was this teacher that could have given me like, two years of really solid intense theater training who didn't get yeah. the job and instead this other person who wasn't bringing anything to the table got the job and so i think i was very resentful of that mm -hmm. yeah that totally makes sense well uh do, where do your where's the rest of your family figure in was there were the, the were your brothers into were you guys in similar classes like i don't were they into drama too you said that oh yeah was, we all grew I mean, up they doing developed that. drama club we were a theater family, uh, grew up doing Were you? It. I don't know. I don't know the age difference between you guys. So I don't know if like, obviously it doesn't sound like one of your brothers was in that class that you know over. Oh God. If my older brother had been in that class, he would have just, he would have really sat on me, maybe literally to be like, Hey, stop being an asshole. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> my older brother is three years older than me and my little brother is three years younger than me. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So we had that a pretty really, good spread. Like, just escape. Yeah. Being. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, that, so that was I overlapped the other question. With, yeah. I overlapped, you know, senior and freshman year with my older brother and then my little brother the other way around. Um, exactly. And that was because that was the other question I was going to ask, like based on everything you were talking about, kind of assuming those leadership roles uh, at school was how that played out in your family. If it was like an entirely different dynamic um, at home. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like what it came down to is I think I had a really I didn't see myself, I didn't see the dynamic of like teacher, student, adult, kid. I was just like, I am also a human being in this room with you. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. And and so yeah. like it all came down to respect for me without just giving because you're the teacher and I'm the student. And so like at home, I couldn't have respected my parents more. Um, yeah. And so like I was not rebellious to my parents. Um, you know, little things like, 
you know, saying, oh, yeah, his mom's totally going to be there. It's not just a sleepover without any parental supervision. But like, right. I wasn't I wasn't sneaking out. Um, I came home drunk once when I was 16 and felt so guilty. Like I didn't drink again until college because um, <laughs> my parents just said they're going, Where? what did we do wrong? And I was like, you didn't do it. You're great. Um, yeah. My favorite part about that story, though, is I came home late drunk. Um, way past my curfew and my mom was like sitting in a dark room and when I walked in she turned on the lamp and like I fell over she scared the shit out of me and she was like it's it way really, past that's curfew. very cinematic and I, was like, and I was like oh yeah um, I just I got caught up in a movie we started a movie and I didn't see the time and she was like what movie and for some reason the only movie that popped in my head was Stuart Little 2 I was like, oh, Stuart Little too. Like, what kind of cool party were you at, Travis, that went till like two o'clock in the morning and you guys were watching Stuart Little too? Uh, do you think that, uh, and, and did it from that point be eventually you had to admit to her that you were drunk because she could oh, I got, every, about, oh, like, yeah. like how long did, yeah, that lie did Five minutes, you any further than the front maybe. door? Maybe. Yeah. No, we passed each other yeah. in a hallway as I went upstairs and she went, you smell like beer. And I was like, nah, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Deaf. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you got me. Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> um, and so within the popularity uh of you know being well liked and 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 all that in high school, did that confidence also extend to crushes, relationships, like dating, that kind of thing? Um, I the thing is for a long time my my dating MO was like much like what I loved in the uh, hobby, I loved I loved drama. I loved like you know anybody who was hard to get, and like mm-hmm. I had to work. Like I had a girlfriend my entire uh, senior year, and it took me like three months to convince her to date me because we had dated briefly before that and broken up, and like she was like, "Well, it didn't work out that time," and I was like, "No." And as soon as she was like, "No, I'm not interested," that was like. I shall win your heart. And like, <laughs> I spent like, you know, writing letters and like, I, I have to tell you. And then like one day, finally I looked at her and I was like, okay, we've been talking about this for a long. And I, I should say like, she was not completely spurning my advances. Hers was just like, I don't know. We tried it before. I'm not sure. And so finally it was like, I just would like to know yes or no. And she said, no. And I said, okay. And I went home. And then the next day she knocked on my door crying it's like i made a huge mistake i i want to date you and then we dated for like a year um wow a year is forever in high school by the way yeah my entire senior year dated um she was a junior when i was a senior um and she was great and once again i didn't like treat her badly or anything but i think i didn't appreciate uh like here's this separate person from me who lives their own life and has their own wants and desires and doesn't just mm-hmm. exist when you can see them and doesn't disappear when they're not in the room. <laughs> and so like... Does this... T- yeah, go ahead. Well, and so then I started like looking at colleges and I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma and it was really upsetting to her that like I was leaving town and like I just couldn't understand why she was so upset about this thing. Like, it's going to be fine. I'll come back and we'll do long distance. It'll be great. And like she was very upset at the idea of like me leaving town. And like, I just, I, in once again, another thing that I look back in retrospect and like, I remember thinking like, I'm the victim here. She's so upset. Why is she freaking out? <laughs> and now I look back on, I'm like, you could have handled that so much better. Like, 
I I was just so self-centered that I couldn't understand why she would be upset about this great thing that was happening to me. But yeah, I mean, you obviously you you mentioned that you're a recovering narcissist, so mm-hmm. I I wanted, but like you also had tremendous respect for your parents, as you said, and that you did yep. have this feeling that you didn't want to you know let them down, and you did have this sort of feeling of guilt and this kind of sense of honor in that way. Um, where when did you decide to recover from being a narcissist, and when did you name yourself that, and um, how serious are you when you use that term? Are you just a sweet person who um, now feels like maybe you were a jerk when you were younger. Good. All, all good questions. Um, <laughs> so and possibly deliver too many at once, but no, I, I think I can tick them off. Um, okay, as right. far as when I realized uh, my brother, Justin and my sister-in-law, Sydney, who I've known basically my whole life grew up doing theater together. They sat me down at dinner one night when I was about like 23 and they were just like, Hey, um, I, like I, I was kind of dating, but never like hadn't found a relationship. And, um, I did that a lot where like I would spend like two weeks more or less dating somebody and then it would just kind of fizzle out because I was so self-centered that I was just not good at taking the other person's desires and thoughts. And I talked so much about myself. I never asked questions I never got interested in the other person. I just wanted them to be interested in me. And so my my brother and my sister kind of pointed that out to me. And I kind of started working on it then. I also had this uh, wonderful human being, one of my best friends named Michael Bradbury, who one night after a party, I was hanging out with him, you know, helping him clean up. And he was like, hey, just so you know, all my friends think you're an asshole. And I was like, what? Shit. I, I thought they were my friends, too. And he's like, well, once oh, they get shit. to know you, they like you. But when they first meet you, you kind of make kind of snarky jokes and you talk about yourself a lot. And I know that's not really you, but that's kind of the first impression you give to people. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this intervention moment of like, oh, because like I just moved back home and I didn't have a lot of friends i had not had like carryover friends so it was like i was back in my hometown but all of my friends had like gone away to college and moved away and so like i was Mm -hmm. making new friends mostly through bradbury and so finding out that like these people who i was considering my new friend group it was hard for them to see me as a good person was like a gut punch and so of course yeah so i kind of started working on that and then the biggest thing that happened was i met my now wife uh, so when I was 25, I started dating my wife. So that was about uh, about nine years ago. And she has been a wonderful influence. She's one of the few people that I, uh, honest to God, no joke, love more than myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so like her, her wants and needs became more important to me than my own, um, which was like a weird feeling. And it was one of those things, like as soon as I realized that, it was easy for me to see how bad I had been about doing that for other people where like, rather than ask someone like, where would you like to go to dinner? I would just say like, this is where we're going to dinner. Or if I wanted (laughs) to watch a movie, I would just put the movie in without asking. I mean, it was like, I hadn't known I was doing it. I wasn't aware that I didn't let other people talk and that I didn't ask questions and that I wasn't really interested in other people's lives so much as I was interested in telling them about mine. Um, that I like, not only that, I also 
so when I say I'm a narcissist, like I've talked to my therapist about it. Um, and, you know, it, it's not like she has ever looked at me and said, yep, narcissist. But like I tick off or I used to. I'm trying not to now. But all of these boxes about like, uh, you know, delusions of grandeur. Like, for example, one of the things that I'm now aware of and I try not to do anymore. But like I would see someone playing guitar and I would think, I bet I could do that. Even though I've never practiced guitar, I've never picked up a guitar, I've never learned it, but I was just overwhelmed by this feeling of, like, I could be better than that person at that if I tried. And, like, that was my first response to seeing, like, I would see someone paint or, uh, you know, sing a song, and all I would think was, like, yeah, I could be better than them. Um, Or, like, I would think about myself. fascinating? Yeah, and that was, like, my go-to, or, like, when I thought about myself as being successful, when I was, like, 18... It wasn't a question of, like, would I be successful at something? Would I become well-known for something? I just, what? I was going to. And anybody who told me differently, I would be like, you're wrong. Um, I'm great, and I'm inherently great. So I didn't do a lot of, like, work to improve myself, but I I was pretty inherently great. I was a National Merit Scholar. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I was lead in a lot of shows in high school. And then I got to college, and nobody knew me. And like I had no, there was nobody from West Virginia there, so I like didn't have any prior relationships to fall back on, any established stuff to fall back on. I wasn't getting the lead in shows for the first couple years, and like mm-hmm. I suddenly had to rebuild. So I, yeah, that's when I kind of started being a lot more snarky and sarcastic, as like I'm super cool, dude, um, rather than just like bold and brassy. I was also being kind of a shithead. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm completely legit, meaning completely seriously when I say I was a narcissist, I I don't think I was ever a bad person. I was never like a sociopath or like, uh, you know, I, I was never like, I'm going to embezzle everybody's money because I'm so important and so great, but it was just more like I was so bad at caring about other people in a sincere way. Like, I loved my friends, and I loved, you know, people. But the idea of, like, yes, but I am I still want to do what I want to do, though. Um, mm-hmm. So let's do what I want to do first, and then we could talk about doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, like, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Like, I, I thought that was, I mean, to tie this all back together... I saw that as like, I'm a born leader um, Mm -hmm. because I was always the one making the plans and telling people what we were going to do and all of that. And I didn't see anything wrong with it until um, mostly until I was like 25. And my wife would be like, hey, uh, like she just kind of lay a hand on my arm and she's like, "Mm, just, you know, in that entire like 20 minute conversation we just had with our friends, you basically just dictated to them rather than like asking them questions or yeah. seeing what they wanted to do. You just kind of said like, hey, tomorrow, let's all hang out. We'll go see a movie. Then we'll grab dinner. See you guys at four. And like <laughs> n- never left any air for them to <laughs> contribute to the plan. Right. And it's, still, it's still something I struggle with. Like I, it's, I'm, I have actively worked over the last like decade to educate myself about other people's lives that, I mean, I'm a straight white dude uh, with no, like, visible disabilities 
from Huntington, yeah. West Virginia. So I did not grow up like exposed to other cultures, ways of life, thoughts that weren't my own. And yeah. then I went to school in Oklahoma and then I lived in Ohio. So it wasn't exactly like I was hitting big metropolitan areas uh, where I was being exposed to new input and new uh, stimuli. And so like mm -hmm. I've worked really hard for the last decade or so to like ask questions of people and try to see people like see people's lives through their own eyes and that kind of thing. Um, so that's why I say recovering because it's something yeah. I'm still working at. Um, and the nice but thing so I try, I tried to hold on I mean, to my very, very healthy self-confidence. No, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? Is that if you can, because that's such an enviable quality for so many people, particularly like artistic and creative people where somehow self-doubt, I don't know if it's, if it's more pervasive or people's emotions are just closer to the surface, um, for one reason or another, or, uh, you know, that it, it is like, I, whatever it is, it's so common, um, among creatives and I think that that's it's probably just as common am among people who aren't necessarily doing something creative um, as a career but are you know creative people or, or what have you but somehow the way it's expressed in the arts um, you know it just seems like it's more pervasive on some level so that when you have people who kind of cut through that and just seem like very confident that they're they're really good at it mm -hmm. um I mean, that's, that's that weird balance to strike, right? Is that like, I think, I think even someone has maybe, maybe someone said that about my dad once. I hope he wouldn't mind that I would say this because I, I think it's, uh, it's germane, but I think someone said to my dad once, like, you're very full of yourself. And I don't think my dad is full of himself at all, but he is very comfortable with who he mm -hmm. is. He's also extraordinarily empathetic to other people and is sort of a bleeding heart liberal in that way and, you know, cries at movies and, and that kind of stuff. But he also knows what he's good at. He doesn't think he's good at everything, but he knows that he is really good at what he's really good at. And he's very comfortable talking about it. And he's not ashamed of that. And he's not overly modest about it. Mm -hmm. But, he, but, but nothing about that is obnoxious to me. But I could totally see how somebody who has, you know, is more along the lines of being raised to refuse compliments at every turn, or, you know, just try to like constantly demure and be like, Oh, me. Oh, old me. Silly old me. No, no, I'm not good at that. You know what I mean? Even if they're like the most the most brilliant at it, that that kind of social construct that we're that we're taught, like we tell kids to feel great about themselves mm -hmm. and to believe in themselves and that they can do anything. But then you get to a certain age, like when a little kid is like, I can do anything I want. We're like, you bet you can, buddy. Good work. And then if you're 25 and you're like, I'm great at everything. I can do anything I want. People are like, calm down, snob. Yeah, like, calm get down, out of here, dude. arrogant. So there's that sort of weird, it's just a weird, like, kind of counterintuitive, like, wait a minute. I thought we said we wanted people to be. So I, I can understand so easily how, like cultivating one part of that and not picking up on the social cues of like, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to think that or I'm not supposed mm -hmm. to say that about myself or I'm not could be incredibly confusing or just like miss someone altogether. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, the thing is, is it's the problem can be like, especially when. So for me, I think it developed from like kind of a defensive place of like 
championing myself and telling myself how great I was because I was like before, uh, you know, high school, I was so self-conscious as like a, a little kid, like in second grade, the same in the same year. I got glasses, got diagnosed with ADD and started taking medication and entered into the talented and gifted like accelerated learning program and and also started speech therapy. So like all in second grade. <laughs> oh man. So oh, like man. it was this roller coaster of like just basically feeling suddenly so different from everybody else like I was leaving class every day at noon to go take my Redlin. And then every Friday, leaving class to go to the Talented and Gifted program. Every Tuesday, going for like a half hour to speech therapy. And like, I'm also wearing glasses. I had a gigantic head and like (laughs) a scrawny little body. And like, I was just a dork, you know? And like, Uh and I just felt so different. And so like, so like, if I heard people like giggling behind me, I was like, well, that's me. They're making fun of me. And I would just assume that people were making fun of me. So then as I started to get older and kind of find talents and find out what aspects of myself people liked, I cultivated those and like built confidence around them to a point where I would wear it like armor and like this ability to, well, if this person doesn't like me, it's because of how terrible they are. (laughs) Um, And their their inability to recognize my greatness um, is what's making them terrible. So I don't have to worry about them. Um, Yeah. And and like I used to. I mean, you would be a great Scientologist. Let's just put that right out. Oh, yeah. Or a cult leader. Oh, man. I could start my own cult like that. I'd be incredible. But um, (laughs) the problem is, is with that kind of armor and what you one of the big Uh, things of narcissism is like very superficially charming and that's what I was Mm -hmm. I was very good at making people like me but when Mm -hmm. it really came down to it I wasn't really cultivating like deep relationships with people Um, I I just had a lot of uh, superficial relationships with people so it was very easy for me to like date someone for like two weeks but I wasn't really invested. I wasn't get I mean, by which I mean not that I didn't like them, but that I wasn't giving actual, you know, attention. I wasn't committing anything to getting closer to them and getting to know them better. I just wanted them to like me. And then once they did, I kind of was like, okay, cool, check mark, done. And wasn't good <laughs> at growing it, you know? And yeah. so Well, also, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like having long term I mean, the, the conflict resolution is sort of like if you have a good family dynamic, which obviously you do um, with your with your brothers and your parents and stuff, you have kind of I mean, I feel like baked in is a sort of conflict resolution um, like gene or certainly at least a muscle that gets exercised. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an only child. And I, my parents never remarried, so the only thing that ever had to be resolved was, like, between my dad and me or between my mom and me, and I didn't really have to – and I don't come from money or anything, but I, I didn't ever have to sh- – I had to I had to be told no a ton about what I wanted and couldn't have because we couldn't afford it or because my parents were very sensible, just practical people, but I never had to, like – other than with friends, like I never had to like share or, you know, this is how we're going to spend this time. So I, I have the kind of narcissism that comes from just being an only child, which is by virtue of just never having a family member in the house 
other than my parents who told me what was going to happen that I had to like work stuff out with. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas you sort of have that, but if, but, and so in relationships, if you, once you get past the kind of like, you know, like, as you said, when you met your wife and, and her needs and her interests became more important to you, um, it's, it's interesting to me that, that, you know, in a situation where you're in love with someone or you start living with someone or whatever, that, um, that you're, that you're, that your fan, like your familial background wouldn't kick in faster because I'm sure you guys had to compromise. Like you had brothers, you didn't always get your way. As you said, you respected them. They, you know, they kind of told you what's up, um, or at least your older brother. And, and so like, you know, because you, I guess that's, that's what I'm saying is like, it's interesting that you had to compromise just by virtue of being in a big family mm-hmm. with a, such a close age range. But then, when it came to like you going outside of your family to choose those relationships that you were like, wait, what? No, I'm just, I just know what's going to be the best for us in this situation. Like I'm going to make sure we have a great time. Well, I just wanted, I wanted an entourage is what it was. I wanted like people (laughs) who just like followed me around and, and really to give you the last big piece of the puzzle that will also click in place and not to be too much of a bummer, but just to get real. Um, my mom, my mom passed away when I was 21 and I'm so sorry uh, it's it's all right and i'm about to explain why so that also led me to uh later in like a couple of years after that um getting really into like zen and meditation and kind of figuring out a different way of looking at the world because basically what happened was i think about it, uh, i think of it this way um when i was born i started building a building right building a building of my life and had my mom never died, I think I probably would have just continued on building that building. Um, and you would have been able to connect every action I took all the way back through the house. But when mm-hmm. my mom died, it was like an earthquake that kind of destroyed the house that I'd been building, which mm-hmm. made it really hard for like two, three years after that. But it, what it did was give me this chance to at 23 24 years old start a complete new building with mm-hmm. the with the knowledge that I had about the person I wanted to be from that point forward instead of just having to keep building off of the building I already had so it allowed me to kind of do this because my personality was kind of for from 21 to 22 more or less blank slate where like I just mm-hmm. was so despondent. I wanted to drop out of school um, before I graduated, and like my uh, one of my favorite professors, uh, Tom, who was my mentor in college, kind of convinced me like my mom wouldn't want me to do that, and like yeah. my dad told me the same thing. And so like I did finish school, but for that year, like I was pretty, uh, uh, you know, I was just going through the motions and, and existing. And yeah. so it I, it kind of gave me this ability to, when I was, you know, 23, 24, start my life from a point of like, all right, who do you want to be? Who does Who is adult mm. Travis going to be? Because you don't just have to keep doing what you did as kid Travis and high school Travis and college Travis. Who do you want to be from this point forward? And I wanted yeah. to be somebody my mom would be proud of. And so like, that's kind of where I started, where it's like, my mom was this wonderful person, church secretary, wonderful human being who was the most dependable 
person, the most loving mother, the most dedicated, wonderful person I've ever known in my entire life. And I wanted to be that. So that's what I started working from. That's kind of where I built from there. I feel like I'm getting so deep on this comedy podcast. I apologize. Oh, no, like, no. Uh, oh, you, I can't tell you how many people are like uh, shaking their heads and laughing at the idea of that because this um, podcast is uh, is maybe the least funny uh, podcast in the comedy. Like I, Perfect. I, I'm, I, yeah, this is this is no, you're in you're in excellent company. You're in excellent company. Perfect. Yeah. And I think I mean, obviously that that when things like that happen to us when we're younger, it that that is the sort of silver lining, right? The And I think we're entitled to see it that way and to appreciate it and respect it for what it is, because it does give us the tools, whether we asked for them or not, to do a lot of fucking work on ourselves mm-hmm. that yeah. we would not have had to do otherwise. And hopefully, in a perfect scenario, that is leading to being able to handle the shit that gets thrown at us as adults better yeah. as well, you know? Yeah, and like, that, I, it's so tough, because it's one of those things like, would I rather still have my mom around? Yeah, of course, of course I would. But, like, when it comes down to it, like, I am the person I am now because of everything that's come before this, not just because of, like, one moment or one thing. I am who I am with all everything I've done. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I like the person I am now way better than I liked the person I was when I was 15 or 20 or 22 or 23. I like the person I am now. And... I also try to continue to grow more every day. Like I just, uh, I have a nine month old baby um, and it it has been one of the scariest processes of my entire life. Cause when she was born, I had this moment of realization of like, well, she gets all, all of you now uh-huh. of, of like, I don't get to dictate the plan for the day. I don't, yeah. I can't look at her and be like, hey, I need you to stop screaming because I want to sleep. Like, she doesn't uh-huh. care. She doesn't care. It's the most like uh, immersive therapy for a narcissist yeah. of like, you need, and, and that's the thing. I love my baby more than anything. And so, like, it was another kind of like kick, kick in the pants of like, hey, you need to step up to an even higher level of, you know, not being a narcissist now. Because yeah. this this person doesn't care. She's not interested in your story. She doesn't care how funny you are. <laughs> you have to take care of her. Yeah. And so, like, that's the thing is it became this new process of, you know, hey, here's a fork in the road. You're either going to be a shitty dad for the rest of your life because this baby distracts from how great you are or <laughs> you realize that she is more important than you. And you're going to work on being a good dad. And so, like, that's what I've been doing for the last nine months. And it's one of the big reasons I started to going to therapy because I was like, I'm frustrated and I shouldn't feel frustrated. This is my baby. I love her so much. Why am I frustrated? So I started going to therapy and my therapist was like, oh, you're frustrated because it's really frustrating. Babies are very frustrating. And I was, I was like, gonna okay, say, cool. Yeah, Woo. that's any parent in the world would be like, buddy, I really feel your pain. And I don't even yeah. think of myself as being self-centered. <laughs> yeah, I was so I was just so worried because I would have these moments where I was just like, let me go to sleep. Why are you screaming? Yeah. Why won't you? And it was like, I shouldn't feel this way. I should just love her with all my heart. And so I started going to therapy and it was like, no, 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 that's. You're fine. But that said, I, I still have kept working on it because, like, I 
I, frustration is a thing. I mean, part of my ADD has always been like that kind of like obsessive worry mm-hmm. about stuff. So I get really frustrated mm-hmm. really easy, especially when it's like something doesn't go my way. And like another thing I've realized is like if I get mad at something I read on the Internet or if, you know, I get in a fight with somebody on Twitter, I, I can't sit there and yell in front of my baby. Like yeah. my baby doesn't care that I got mad at somebody on Twitter. I'm not yeah. gonna yell. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna yell in front of her. You know what I mean? Like she is but the best I, deterrent yeah. for a bad mood ever. Totally. And like ultimately the good news is is that you I mean, I feel like you if you set yourself up to feel amazing about being the best dad in the world and mm-hmm. being really confident and being very smug about that, like like if because you wonder you understand what that actually means that means that you are the, you know you are the best at giving up things about yourself to benefit your baby and you can be like it can just replace like you can still be the awesomest yeah uh, oh yeah no i'm the best be, dad it'll just be that you're the yeah exactly like then I but ha- but it's absolutely to someone else's so benefit so it's great up, you get, it's she, the best of both worlds my baby ended up spending the first 10 days of her life in the NICU, in the natal intensive care unit, uh, uh-huh. neonatal. And she was fine. She was just born a couple days shy of full term. Um, and right. I, so the first time I tried to change her diaper, she was hooked up to all these you know, sensors and stuff. So there's all these wires running off of her. And like I was so afraid of hurting her. Like, I didn't want to hold her feet too tight or move her limbs the wrong way to change the diaper. Sure. And I I locked up. Like, I just, I I ended up just, like, panicking. And I had to step away from the, you know, the crib thing and turn to the nurse and was like, you have to do it. And I just, like, went and stared out a window, just, like, breathing Mm -hmm. and calming myself back down. And I was, I in that moment, I was like, I'm going to be the worst dad. Why can't I do this? Then that night, uh, in the hospital room with my wife, we were watching HGTV. And on one of the shows, there was some dipshit who had kids and like he had like three kids. And I said out loud, well, if that asshole can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and so then it's like I woke like up the next morning. like watching someone play yeah. guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like I woke up the next morning. I was like, I've got this. If he can do it, I can do it. And so like. It's great. Never, never locked up changing a diaper again. I mean, it's still been a journey to become the best dad in the world. But now that right. I'm here, it seems so uh-huh. easy. <laughs> You're using your superpowers for good. This yes, is that's, really, it's very That's uplifting. what I'm trying. I'm trying and yeah. like uh, my positivity and my like self-confidence I try to use to like share with other people, make other people happy and, you know, share the positivity I give myself every day and project it outward. And like, yeah, I try, I try to do good, um, which I think leads to sometimes I'll like say on something that I'm a narcissist or I'll say it on Twitter and I get this pushback of people like, no, you're not. You're great. And it's like, OK, but like that's like saying I'm a recovering alcoholic and somebody saying, but I never see you drink. And it's like, yeah, right, exactly. Right, I'm I actively right. work at it. Right. Good for you. Uh, that's great. That's great. And I listen, I don't think you're that great of a guy. So I think Thank you know you. we're really like I'm helping really settle uh Thank settle you. the the all the all the stuff that's lifting you back off the ground. Um yeah. okay, you I want to balance me out, Janet. Game. I've always said that. <laughs> I do. 
I'm the number one balance mm-hmm. in your life right mm-hmm. now. Thank you. Aside from your daughter. Um, okay, I want to get into this MASH game. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I want to start with this first category, uh, which will be give me three fictitious fantasy sci-fi type places that you would like to have a vacation home. Ooh, okay. Um, I would like to have a vacation home on the forest moon of Endor. Um, Indeed. Wh- I I don't care what anybody says. I love the Ewoks. Oh my God, um, me too. I was I, I really feel like maybe they're real somewhere. Yeah. I had an Ewok Village playset. It's one of the greatest things I've ever gotten for Christmas. Oh, that had like best. a little elevator you could like crank and it had a net in it and it was like four trees with it. like oh I loved it so much. I remember um, it. So let's see. Two more. Um I would like man, I wish I could so God, this is so dorky. There was a uh, Nickelodeon kids show called David the Gnome, mm-hmm. and he lived in this like tree thing that had like all these intricate like you know there were traps to keep bad people out and like how their like elevators and plumbing and stuff to work. And they did an episode of the show where like he explains how the house was built, and oh. all I wanted to do was go and explore it. Yeah. Okay. So I, this is I an interesting theme. What if what if your third one if you were like and the tree that the Keebler elves live in? <laughs> oh man, that would also be cool. Um the other one would be um uh you know, I'm trying to think of something else that, you know, I love and is dorky, but there's let me think. Where would I wanna go? Where would I wanna I'm looking around my room at all of my uh, dorky <laughs> toys. Oh, that might you know help. what? It might help. Krypton. Um, I have oh, a great. poster from the 70s on my wall that's a map of Krypton and it shows nice. all the different like locations of Krypton and I've always been fascinated by it. That's a great one because when I think about Krypton, I just think about the very first Christopher Reeve Superman movie mm-hmm. and it just seems like a terrifying place because it was like as a child especially when things are like shaking the camera's shaking to show that the mm-hmm. planet's cracking up and everything and everyone's like scared and like it's very Titanic-ish in attitude. I was like this place is awful. It's terrifying. But of course, that's it's just beautiful. what happens when your when your beautiful it's, place crumbles. Well, that's thing. It's all crystalline and beautiful, and oh, it's great. Um, that's fantastic. Okay, great. Uh, next category is three foods that in this reality are you know not great for you to have every day. Maybe you're allergic to them. Maybe they would give you diabetes. Maybe you know mm-hmm. they're fattening. Whatever. Uh, but in this alternate reality we're creating, they are uh, in fact good for you, and you can have them at the snap of your finger. It can be uh, something rare that you can't get to because it's far away. Whatever. But three things that you can have um, in perpetuity without it negatively impacting you at all. Oh, this is easy. Um, I fried chicken um, is my right. favorite food in the entire world. I know if cheesecake um, isn't on this list, I don't know what. No, cheesecake is one hundred percent. I will sit and eat an entire cheesecake in a sitting. I've done it before, right. and I'll do it again um, okay, to the point where I taught myself how to make cheesecake so that I could just eat it whenever I wanted to. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's cheesecake's amazing, and then just like boxes of chocolates. Like any chocolate, like I love chocolate. I love candy. And there's something about getting that candy out of a box 
That's so much fun to me. Oh, I love it. I couldn't agree more. C's candy boxes were a staple every Christmas, so I associate it so positive. I like I in my deepest core also associate boxed candy with like being given other presents and like eating other like everything about it is. Sorry, you broke up really bad. What did you say? Oh, I was just saying that uh, that. Sees candy we would get every Christmas oh, at my grandparents. Yeah. So it's like it not even just the enjoyment of a candy. It's now like hardwired to my thoughts of Christmas and getting other presents and just like the happiest memories you could possibly have. So box chocolates, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know, for um, me, wonderful. I have this really bad habit of like flexing my adulthood where like I'll see a box of chocolates on like the drugstore shelf and think, you know what? I'm an adult. I buy that if I want to. <laughs> no one's right. going to tell me That's I right. can't do it. And so, like, That's I'll just right. come home with a box of chocolate. My wife was like, why did you buy? We have so much candy in the closet. I'm like, <laughs> because I'm an adult and I can. <laughs> amazing. Uh, okay, listen. Uh, listen, speaking of your amazing wife, because I do need to get this category out of the way. I always feel really guilty about it. This is three alternate universe. It could just be, like, sexy times. It could be, like kind of friendship, love, alternate universe, mm-hmm. relationship times. Uh, it could be people from like people, you you know, like famous people you had a crush on when you were a teenager, anybody from any era, any age, it could even be fictitious characters, uh, three. Oh, okay. Let me see. Um, I had a massive, massive, massive crush on Tara Lipinski. Uh, who mm-hmm. was a figure skater in, I think, maybe the 98 Olympics. She was on the cover of a TV guide that we had, and I just thought she was, like, <laughs> the cutest. And I and it was age-appropriate at the time, I should say. I think I was, and like... And she was an Olympian, so you felt like she was up to your standards. Yeah, exactly. But I just thought she was so cute. <laughs> I was, like, 14, 15, um, which I will also say, as long as I'm saying weird crushes I had... Uh, Andy McDowell, when I was a kid, Ooh. I had th- a huge crush on Andy McDowell. Um, okay. And what, it, was there a movie that really did that for you? I think it was either Michael or um, Groundhog Day. Um, I just thought she was like, and not in like a, uh, not in any way like, I want to have sex with that person kind of crush. But honestly, like, yeah. it was just like, she just seemed so great. Like, and yeah. cute, and I think I was, like, 12, and, like, you know, that age where I wouldn't have thought about sex so much, it was just like, right. I want to hold her hand. Um, right. And then, let's see, a fictitious, I'm trying to throw, oh, um, I don't know if I, uh, this seems a little obvious, a little easy, but I uh, am just crazy about that Beyonce Knowles. Uh, um, oh, hell Yeah. I, Hell yeah. I, I remember, one, being a fan of her long before this, but her in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, there was just something about it where it's like, well, that's the most beautiful woman in the world. And like, yeah, it, I just, I'm both a huge fan of her work. Um, I like her whole persona, and I think she is incredibly beautiful. And mostly, I would just love to sit and like, ask her questions and let her talk to me. Ooh, can I throw one more in? Because now I've just remembered it. Oh, a bonus, eh? A bonus. This is very, uh, this is never done. I just remembered but this yes. in the same way of like, I just want to sit there. Um, Regina Spector. 
Um, Agreed. I saw her, I big fan, and I saw her live in concert, and I would just like to sit in a room while she plays piano, like, and sings. <sighs> like, I would just sit there for Brilliant. hours and hours and hours and hours. I, like, I think she has a great energy when she's playing. Um, I love her style of music. I love her voice. Mm-hmm. Um, agreed, agreed, agreed. And, and she just, there, I, when she, when I saw her perform, she was sick. And she like said in the microphone, like, hey, I, I'm like super sick, but I didn't want to cancel the show. So here we go. And like, she still was amazing. And then she would finish the song and just like lean into the microphone and say a really quiet, sick, like, thank you. And then start the next song. Aww. And it was just like the most like sweet, like, I just want to get to know you. You seem so nice and pleasant. Yes. Um, yeah. So oh, that's those fantastic. would be mine. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, what a she's a you know what she's a class act. Uh, okay, next category is let's do three modes of transportation that are kind of sci-fi or otherworldly uh, or have not yet been made possible for us as humans um, that mm-hmm. that you would use to get around. Okay, so speeder bike um, from the Star Wars, um, which now I'm worried that I'm not saying the right thing, but that um, a TARDIS. Right. Um, TARDIS, I love the idea of a moving house. Like, that has mm-hmm. always yeah. got me. That idea of, like, all my shit's still here. It's oh, so convenient. Hell, yeah. um, hell yes. I have also, my, Janet, I'll tell you my dream. Tell my dream. Tell me your dream. I want angel wings so badly. <laughs> so badly. I sometimes oh. just picture it, and then I have to remember that it's not real. Just these like twelve foot wingspan, glorious white angel wings. Once again, I think this might be part of narcissism that I want just glorious angel wings. But like I've always envisioned, this is the scene in a bar, kind of a seedy dive bar on the outskirts of town. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there quietly having a drink, and some big roughneck tries to start a fight with me, and I'm like, "You don't want to do this," and he's like, "What are you? Oh, I'm supposed to be afraid." Of-. And then I just like flex, and these like huge wings pop out of my back, and like everybody stumbles back, and I'm, they're just like, "My God, an angel!" And like, and nobody wants to fight an angel. That would be that's the scene as I see it play out in my mind. I I love it. And d- does that mean that you're like an X Men fan? And is that character named Angel? Oh, Am I crazy? Ar- I, well, that- I believe he became Archangel. Archangel, uh, but yeah. yeah, he started as Angel. Yeah, I just love that. I love the idea of just like both. Uh, I think Wolverine's claws. I feel the same way about. But this idea of just like getting ready for a fight, and you know, like something yes. springing from your body. I couldn't seems agree like more. So I like, think- whoa. You know what that. There needs to be a word for that. The 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 act of a supernatural weapon that is inside of you springing mm-hmm. to attention before battle. There needs to be a word in our vocabulary for that. It's a, w- it's the word you would use for Wolverine. It's claws coming out. It's a word you would use for um, the wings coming out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like get on that that idea of like you also see it sometimes with Nightcrawler where it's like suddenly you'll just like see his tail like up over his shoulder and like just that yeah. kind of I think it's the idea of like just another kind of 
ambulatory body part that's like this yeah. is gonna help me in a fight there's something yes. about that that's just so cool to me i love it i love that you helped me identify that how specific that is and that it's actually right? true uh that well, it's also to, it's also um, a thing that oh, happens yeah. with human torch where like he'll be sitting there and just like his hand like he'll make his fist like go on fire something about that yeah. like preparing for battle and like girding yourself it. with your weapons and armor is so cool to me it's it's the it's almost like it's the external expression of an adrenaline mm-hmm. rush. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love, yeah. It. I love it. it. Um, okay, now all this talk about superheroes makes me want to ask uh, three superheroes that uh, could be your buddy. Um, I have always been fascinated by the idea of Green Lantern, no matter mm-hmm. which Green Lantern we're talking about. The idea mm-hmm. of like using your will to shape energy. Um, yeah. It's... Just incredible. Um, but I think especially Kyle Rayner was my favorite because uh, Kyle Rayner had like kind of a graphic artist sensibility when he would create mm-hmm. stuff. So that was very fun. Yeah. Um, I would also, I think I'd be friends with Booster Gold. Once again, narcissist. I think that we would uh-huh. just get along really well. Um, Great. And, uh, hmm. There was also, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember his, uh, oh, I'm so mad at myself now, because now I can just think cat, and I can't remember what the first word is. It was a boxer. Oh, no, take it back. That's out. Someone will tweet at me and tell me what that is. Um, Starman, um, but the Starman that was the son of the original Starman, um, he was this, like, you know, kind of leather jacket wearing guy who used like a staff instead of like a rod. And it was like really uh, beautifully constructed um, graphic novels, very much in like the vein of like Sandman. Um, and oh, nice, he was just nice. like a cigarette smoking, like, you know, World War Two goggle wearing leather nice. jacketed kind of dude. And he was like, didn't want to be a superhero, but had to because, like, his dad did it and his brother did it. And, like, it was just, it was a Big really great character. Yeah, It that's was so great. cool. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so that Starman. I put Starman, but we know the Starman of which you speak now because yeah. we had the explanation. Okay, then three. Now, this one is just three regular skills. It could They could be extraordinary in the sense that it could be, like, martial arts or you mm-hmm. can speak, you know, three languages. But three... Um, attainable if difficult to perfect skills that you can kind of download matrix style and wake up with overnight and in the morning be like i know kung fu um i ha- okay um one encyclopedic knowledge of like uh I- like diseases injuries mm-hmm. like i and I, that's the thing like my my sister-in-law uh is a doctor who is fascinated by like infectious diseases so like she just doctors who like really are on their on point and like know their stuff seem like wizards to me of this ability of like oh i i'm able to hold all of these facts and terms and things in my head seems like magic um so that um gymnastics i would say like that that idea of like swinging and i mean like actually like you know the walking on the the uh, the bar and pommel horse and like parallel yeah. and uneven bar all of the flipping around is like oh okay that's a superpower to me as far as I'm concerned I've Agreed. I've gone to a couple like um meets you know like gymnastic meets um because yeah. I had a friend in college who did it and it was like watching superhumans flip around it was incredible um, yeah 
and then I would I wish I was really good at like bow and arrow. I think that would be a oh, really nice. fun not to hunt. I have zero interest in actually ever injuring uh, any yeah. animals whatsoever, but like Ditto. as a archery competition kind of thing, it seems like such a cool archaic skill. Yes. Um that like I wish I was just instantly great at. Yes. Okay, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh okay. Three uh, movies that you can jump into and hang out with the characters. You're not reinventing. You know, you're not re, uh, you're not reliving the plot. Um, it's just a, a world that you can kind of go into. It's uh, and then you can kind of be with the characters and stuff. But nothing bad can happen to you. Um, well, it's not a great answer, but my favorite movie in the world is Blazing Saddles. So great. I I would love to hang out with Bart and Jim, uh, who are is my favorite buddy duo in pretty much any comedy ever um so good and then ferris bueller's day off i would like to be friends with ferris bueller Mm -hmm. uh i was obsessed with that movie when i was Mm -hmm. in high school because i was uh (laughs) you sound like you were a bit of a ferris oh i wanted to be so bad so Mm -hmm. bad so bad i wanted to be um I'm torn between my actual answer or a cool guy answer. Mm. (laughs) The actual answer would be another movie I was obsessed with when it came out. The original Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Mm -hmm, I saw mm -hmm. nine times in theaters. I loved it so much. Um, My cool guy answer would have been like, oh, I want the Wet Hot American Summer. But really, I would be on a pirate ship. Pirates. It's yeah. we all value and salute your honesty for sure. Yeah, um, listen, it hurts. Your it's time. giving this away a lot time. of myself. Uh-huh. But, you know. <laughs> uh, it's worth it because listen, if you end up with that, you're going to be so glad that you said something authentic. Um, right. Okay, and then final category is final category is three. Let's do three t- TV families that. Uh, were like alternate universe families that you grew up in. Ooh, okay. Like, like that I relate to on my own, or like if I had just I, whatever if, you if, think would be okay. fun. Um, I really, really liked the family on Step by Step. Great. Um, because I liked the i I liked the idea of like the two families coming together and building a new family. It was very Brady Bunch, but in a much more snarky, sarcastic way. Right. Um, so I really like them. Also, Boy Meets World. I was Great. I loved the Matthews with their magical disappearing daughter. Um yeah. <laughs> who she went away for a couple seasons and came back and was a different uh-huh. actor. Um but that the uh, core like uh the parents, Mr. and Mrs. Matthews, whose first names are now escaping me, um, were just like the classic like I'm gonna like sit you down and give you the perfect thing to say. Um, and man, I think I'm just sticking with all TGIF here, but Family Matters was also like, I loved Carl Winslow so much. Like he was, they, they did such a good job of making Carl funny, but an amazing dad. You know what I mean? Like it's so easy to write a bad dad to make him funny, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Carl Winslow was a great dad who they also made funny. And like uh-huh. I think a lot of That's that comes a great from like observation. Re- well, Reginald Val Johnson is also an incredible actor, 
But yeah, oh, like, he's so amazing. There are so many great moments of Carl dealing with like real world issues in a way like just do the most cursory YouTube search and you will find all kinds of great scenes of like addressing like his son being treated differently because he's black or like a teacher who doesn't respect Laura or his boss being shitty like these real world problems and addressing it in this way that you just want to like stand up and clap and like I love it yeah Carl Winslow big fan Carl Winslow Okay, awesome. That's so good. God, that's also true about that writing. Okay, uh, so now I just have to do my little squiggle where, you know, you tell me when to stop, and then that's the kind of number I use to do my eeny meenieing. Okay. Um, so just tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. I'm going to pause. You pause, too, uh, and then I'll just do this real quick. I'll come back with your 100% guaranteed MASH future. Okay, uh, listen. First of all, this was very unprecedented because I throw I threw in that bonus uh, Regina and um, and so it really reshuffled uh, what the number I think normally would have resulted in and I'm very pleased with the results. I can't say that oh, Regina good. ended she didn't end up being the the gal, but I feel like we can kind of thank her for uh, a couple of key things that I'm really excited about. So I'm going to start out by telling you okay. that. You know, mansion, apartment, shack, or house, that's a little confusing. It's not under our control, um, but because you picked such specific um, kind of home-type places that you would be, the fact that you got a shack seems kind of fine because you're in Mm -hmm. the um, David, like, the gnome tree, which is like, who cares? It's the tree. It doesn't matter. Like, it is what it is. It's its own thing. So. Sounds uh, great. So you have that. It is filled with unlimited boxes of chocolates. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can get to and from it on your speeder bike. Okay. You can, uh, when you're tired of that or you want to go in and visit your alternate universe family, you can hang out with the family of Meadows. Carl is your alternate universe dad. I know. Super psyched about that. I'll never let Urkel in my tree. I want (laughs) to stress that. (laughs) Stefan Urkel, welcome anytime. Yeah, you're taking this uh, assignment very seriously, and I really respect that. Uh, you also are buddies with Booster Gold, mm-hmm. who Sounds about right. may yep. or may not enjoy jumping into Pirates of the Caribbean with you. Probably would. And I know one of the reasons that you were able to win Beyonce's heart was <gasps> your uh, wizard-like ability to diagnose kind of diseases, infectious diseases, injuries, etc., I heard that's why she's with Jay-Z. That's right. That's exactly right. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know that. Um, And that, my friend, concludes your MASH future. I think you really set yourself up for a spectacular success there. You made such great choices. That's a great life. It's a kick-ass alternate universe life. I am super, I'm super pleased with how this all went down. Yeah. The only way I can see the end of this podcast going uh, better is you singing a snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer for me as we uh, end our podcast together. And thank you so much for doing this, Travis. You're welcome. Um, Let me think. Where to start? Uh, After the boys of summer have gone... And that's all. I'm trying to remember anything. I also know the line. Um, you got your hair pulled back and your sunglasses on, baby. I yeah. can see you. 
Your bronze skin shining in the sun after the boys of summer have gone. Okay, that was amazing because you kind of did a remix where you put things out of order, but it almost sounded yeah. better than the real version. So that's well, like Well, I just put together like the remix. little bit I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. You, you cobbled it all together and it sounded flawless. So fantastic. Uh, that does it for this episode. Thanks again, uh, Travis, guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.